I, I think that, you know, we need to hire firefighters that kind of have this attitude that, you know, everybody has an equal chance to do the job because it's an arduous job. It's dangerous, no doubt, but we want firefighters with the mindset that they can, you know, do the job, complete the essential elements of the job, be physically capable to do the job, and be tolerant of differences. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. From the Federal Resources Studio, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. With the recent increased attention on sexual harassment in the workplace, now may be a good time to address it in your firehouse. Here to discuss what departments and officers need to know about sexual harassment is John K. Murphy. He's a retired firefighter with 32 years of service who is now an attorney. He deals with cases concerning employment, firefighters, and fire departments. And John Murphy joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thank you very much, Scott. I appreciate you having me on your show to talk about this important and timely topic. That it is. So, we just saw Dr. Christine Blasey Ford's case go on in the national spotlight. By the time it was over, a lot of people were saying she shouldn't have waited so long to come forward. Why do victims sometimes wait years to report? Well, I I think uh, it has to do with the sort of the shame, for one, the how could this have happened to me and why did I become so vulnerable? So that creates a weakness, I think. Perceptions by other people. It's the the sense that nobody's going to believe what I'm saying because it becomes a he said she said environment, and so they just kind of sweep it under the rug, put it in the back of their memory, which lingers for a a lifetime. And then um, when they do talk about it, you look at the Harvey Weinstein and the 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 Dr. Ford uh, event, and then the Me Too. Uh, hashtag Me Too um, movement that has come forward to empower women uh, and men uh, to talk about you know, those sort of sexual assaults that have remained hidden for many, many years. And even coming out now creates an issue of, you know, why didn't you say something you know, when it happened? Why didn't you report it to the police? Why didn't you tell your parents? Why didn't you talk to somebody? And I think much of it has to do with the shame and humiliation of being subject to that sort of treatment. How common do you believe sexual harassment is in firehouses? Well, I think it's fairly prevalent. And I know that, you know, my wife was a psychologist and deals with women who have been assaulted and PTSD and other sorts of um, psychotrauma. And the phone calls I get, you know, two or three a month from women in the fire service saying, I have this person 
that continually pursues me. I have this person that continually calls me, emails me, texts me, puts stuff on my Facebook. You know, how can I stop this person from doing that? And so, you know, the it's interesting. I, I did this article on preventing hashtag me to legal fires for fire engineering. It has been posted, I think, for the last couple of weeks now. It's sort of dropped off, but it's still uh, in their website. And when you take a look at the number of women that are in the fire service, it amounts to about 3.7% of the 345,000 career firefighters. And so a lot of, of women that I talk to and certainly um, my wife has talked to, they they don't report it because it could be a career ender for them. And it creates this sort of illusion that the women that do report it and are not strong enough to uh, resist these sort of overtures from uh, male firefighters. And, and sometimes there, it's the same sex uh, sexual harassment, too. So I'm not just saying it's one way or the other. We're seeing same-sex sexual harassment, both for men and women, but predominantly it's it's the men uh, sexually harassing or uh, requiring women firefighters in order to get promotions to, you know, perform certain sex acts. And that's, you know, that's called quid pro quo uh, activities. And so when we actually see it is when somebody files a lawsuit or somebody files a complaint or somebody files complaint with the state human rights division or uh, the EEO saying that they've been sexually harassed, bullied, um, and, you know, sometimes actually physically assaulted. So I, I hate to, you know, as, as a long-term member of the fire service, say this is a prevalent activity that goes on in our service because the, the numbers that we're seeing for the number of women that are actually in the fire service are fairly significant. There are some actions that are harder to define, but that fall into the category of sexual harassment. Yeah. So I think that, you know, one of the things when I was in the fire service that, you know, the men's room and even the sort of the common bathroom areas, they're pornographic magazines sitting on the back of the toilet. And so um, I I remember an event in the department I was in that, you know, we had um, a mother who was visiting the fire station's child went into the men's bathroom and comes out with these pornographic magazines. And he said, what's, you know, what's all this sort of stuff? So it created this sort of, you know, why do we have these magazines in the fire station? And, you know, do we, you know, are they available or do they offend, um, you know, our female members, certainly in, in our service? Um, I've had events where firefighters are watching pornographic videos on you know, the station television and, you know, a woman firefighter walks in or a member of the community walks in and, you know, observes this sort of um, behavior going on, which is impermissible uh, in our department. If you had, and we create policies, you know, it's like slamming the door after the horse is gone, but putting policies in place helps enforceable policies that it helps to do this. So, so what you have is sort of the visual aspect of it, which is fairly plain to see. What you also have is this sort of subtle sexual harassment that's that's not overt. So it's the touching, it's the brushing, it's the comments, it's the things that offend women and would offend you know anybody if you're subject to that sort of behavior. That that is not overt, but it's it's covert and it creates this sort of atmosphere that uh, I'm not safe in my firehouse because I'm going to get, you know, either touched or brushed or Comments made about my hair, my figure, my butt—you know the things that you know, are the common 
the common sort of comments. And then when you read, um, you know, even in our periodicals, you know, the uh, fire journals, and you look at um, uh, my good friend Kurt Barone's blog site, there's something in there, you know, weekly, if not every other week, about a woman firefighter who's filed a harassment charge against an organization or has been assaulted and filed a charge against the organization. And, and the conduct is is like, you know, we don't tolerate this at, at home uh, or in general society, why would we tolerate this sort of behavior in the fire station? I wanted to mention that. Now, one-on-one harassment is one thing, but the idea that four guys or three three men, I guess, from an engine company would be sitting around watching porn on TV when the female member walks in is pretty blatant. They know that's wrong. So are they just rebelling to show that we can do this if we want to, or what's that all about? Well, I think that's a great question. I, I think, you know, some of this has to do with power. And so it's a power play that, you know, I don't sit around watching videos all day, and I don't think that you do either. I think generally members of the public, you know, that's not their, you know, their default position. So I, I think part of it is a power play. So, you know, we're the power people in the organization. You're not. I think what we see and what I've witnessed and what I've been uh, working on some cases around the country are, is that we don't want you here. You know, we don't want you in our organization because, if you again, if you take a look at the numbers, the predominant force in the fire service are white males. And so we're having a hard time culturally making that transition to people of color or women or transsexuals or, you know, gay and lesbian and transgender that's a that's a society sort of issue that now because of the small microcosm of the fire service we're we kind of focus on you know what we see in our firehouses that is not acceptable um, in, in most societies and so you know why do we conduct ourselves in that way so I think part of it is is the power it's the predominant aspect that you know white males are the predominant force in the organization. We still haven't made the cultural shift that women can do the job, and 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 we're, so we're trying to you know get these people out by offending them, by commenting against against them personally, and and to drive them away and creating these sort of litigation problems that we're seeing. I'll be back with more right after this. When that call comes in and you rush to head out, the last thing you're thinking about is your safety. But your safety is all Federal Resources thinks about. At Federal Resources, we work to make sure that every responder is equipped, trained, and ready to come home safely. You look out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Learn more at federalresources.com. In your experience, what happens when the woman who's been in that situation goes to the higher-ups and lodges a complaint? Well, and that is, you know, that's that sort of procedural question. So one of the issues, I think that the fire departments need to have good, strong policies on um, anti-harassment, anti-discrimination, sexual harassment, all of the things that, that I think would put into place the safeguards to prevent you know, this activity from occurring and that it's enforceable. And I think one of the things that we see in, when women complain is that they get sort of brushed aside. Well, 
you know, firefighter Murphy would never do that sort of stuff or firefighter Murphy would never conduct themselves in that manner. And that's, you know, he's married with three kids. Well, why would he do that sort of stuff? So what happens is that first they report it and it gets brushed off to their immediate supervisor. And then it sort of goes up the chain of command. And instead of, you know, the chain of command actually doing an investigation and figure out whether there's truth, you know, to the allegations, they don't do anything. And so, you know, the, the uh, person who's complaining, if they don't find recourse in their organization, they'll go to an outside agency. And so they'll file a claim with, uh, the, you know, the state human rights division that they've been sexually, uh, the rights have been violated uh, because, you know, women are a protected class under the Constitution. And, and so, and they also file a claim with uh, the EEO. So, in most states, the claims with Human Rights Division, EEO, cross-pollinate each other, for lack of a better word. So then they do an interview with um, somebody uh, at EEO. We'll just focus on that for a minute. Uh, there's a manager that will interview the person who's complained and see if there's a valid complaint or not. And then if there's a valid complaint, then they do an investigation in the in the organization. And then, you know, they give the women what's called a right to sue letter where they have a right to sue the, the the organization, and I and I think if I may illustrate this with a case um, in Davie, Florida, there was a pregnancy discrimination act um, uh, violation where women firefighters who got pregnant weren't offered uh, light duty provisions sim- similar to what men got during their first trimester. So if a you know a man got injured on the job and and I think off the job there. Are offered a light duty position until they, you know, got better. And so when the women applied for this sort of light duty or they were denied their light duty provisions in, in their first trimester. And so uh, another firefighter complained. Uh, she was retaliated against, again, which is illegal under the law. And, and so the pregnant firefighter filed a claim under the P- Pregnancy Discrimination Act, and the Department of Justice came in and took the case over. And so they investigated these sort of civil rights violations and, and legal uh, violations against female uh, firefighters who were pregnant and also the retaliation claim that was lodged by another woman who complained about the behavior and the activities that went against pregnant firefighters. And so the city of Davie had actually a consent decree, which is, you know, they agreed that there was something that occurred, but they're not taking any you know fault. They don't admit fault. And then, you know, the Department of Justice puts a lawyer or a judge or somebody in the city level to manage their, their light duty provisions. And so, you know, pregnant women now can get no light duty in their first trimester. And, and to be honest with you, the relationship in this particular event is between the doctor and the patient, who's the firefighter. They make the decision of whether the firefighter can continue to work or wants to take early maternity leave or time off, you know, to, uh, but that's, that's a decision between the doctor and the, you know, the patient firefighter. The, the, in the long run, Scott, I think what happens is we see if these cases actually come to trial. Um, they always talk about former firefighter who filed a lawsuit against the department, and, and sort of the key term is former firefighter. And they're virtually untouchable as far as somebody else wanting to bring them into their department because, you know, again, we're a small microcosm of 300,000 firefighters, and, you know, the, you know the, the, the word gets around pretty good that we don't want to have you know, this problem child in our organization, so just, let's just not hire her, which may be discrimination in its, you know, its own right. So 
I think it's it just, and that's, again, I think why, and then what I hear from women and what my wife hears uh, from firefighters, because she was a former firefighter before she became a psychologist, was that we don't want to complain because we know we're, it's just going to get worse. And if we file a lawsuit or file a claim or all that sort of stuff, you know, um, and if we prevail or we win, we leave, right? Or some women leave, uh, don't file a, you know, they don't notify the organization that they've been harassed or sexually harassed. And then they file a lawsuit, you know, kind of retroactively after they've been out of the department, you know, working in another profession. So it's, it's just, a, it's not fair. I mean, it's for, for a lawyer to say that it's not fair. But, you know, under the law, sometimes women who are harassed, there's just not enough uh, evidence, actually, that they, they were harassed. And so, you know, they're, they're basically their claim doesn't go anywhere, which is, a, I think, a tragedy. So it sounds like what we need here is a change in attitudes among the men in the department. How can we get to that change? <laughs> we're changing culture, <laughs> which is... Which is like um, trying to turn a battleship. It is. Uh, it's doable. I think there's a lot of progressive departments that have taken a look at actively recruiting uh, women and people of color that doesn't fit the general stereotype of the white, you know, male firefighter. I think that you know progressive organizations are are having good policies put into play that are they teach them to the firefighters. They teach you know them pretty much up and down the chain of command. It's that sort of see something, say something. Uh, if you witness harassment that goes on against anybody, I mean, you don't, and you don't even have to be the target of the harassment to complain. You can have a bystander that's in the same room, you know, file a complaint against the aggressor. I, I think that, you know, we need to hire firefighters that kind of have this attitude that, you know, everybody has an equal chance to do the job because it's an arduous job. It's dangerous, no doubt. But we want firefighters with the mindset that they can, you know, do the job complete the essential elements of the job, be physically capable to do the job, and be tolerant of differences. And so, and I don't know, you know, that stuff begins at home. That stuff begins at school. That stuff begins in your church. That stuff begins in your, you know, when you're young. And so we've, I've known, you know, thousands of firefighters that you know, would have no idea. They're, they're just essentially horrified at the fact that some of this behavior goes on in our organization by all levels from the firefighter to the fire chief. And they're, and they're mortified that that, you know, all of this sort of stuff actually takes place in a, in our society and in our fire society that, you know, we're there to protect the citizens, do no harm sort of stuff. And, you know, why do we treat women or people of color, people who are different than us in the fire station where we wouldn't do that? to our family or friends, you know, outside of the fire station environment. So it's, I think it's going to take a change. You know, we're, get, we're seeing a lot of retirements coming in. Uh, we're seeing a lot of millennial firefighters uh, coming in, uh, which, you know, sometimes we laugh that, you know, what do these kids know? Because all they know is technology and they don't know what end of a screwdriver to hold on to. But I think that, you know, those are all skills that are trainable. What the big skill is, is maybe not so much trainable as how to treat people decently, how not to discriminate against people of color or women. And I, and I think that the millennial change, um, because it's been stated that they're the most uh, racially diverse group, uh, come next generations coming into the fire service. Again, they're the most technologically competent, uh, individuals coming in and they're, and they're very loyal according to all the studies that I've read. 
And so we have a new generation of people coming in, and sometimes it takes a generational change in order to change behavior, uh, which takes, you know, that's 50 years sometimes. All right, John Murphy, thanks for talking with me today on Code 3. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate the offer and the, the opportunity. And we put some more information about sexual harassment in the fire service on our website at code3podcast.com slash me too. Check it out. Now, here comes your trivia question. What fire service tool can be used to secure a monitor by driving the tool into the ground and securing the monitor to the tool? I'll have the answer right after this. If you like Code 3, you'll love the Code 3 Bull Session. It's more discussion with our guests on any topic. Sometimes it's serious. Sometimes it's not so serious. But it's only available to patrons of Code 3. Find out what you've been missing. Go to Code3Podcast.com slash support. Pledge just $10 a month to support Code 3, and you'll get immediate access to all the Bull Sessions in our library and future interviews as we post them. Become a patron today, support the show, and get access to the Code 3 Bull Sessions. Here's the trivia answer. Next time you need to secure a monitor, try driving a pry bar into the ground and attaching the monitor to that. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. I'd love to hear what you think of the show. Just email me, scott at code3podcast.com. Thank you for listening. I'll be back again next time with more, and I hope you'll join me then. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is made possible through the generous support of Federal Resources. Visit them at federalresources.com. This show is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to code3podcast.com.